Amen. Amen. I wanted um, Daryl to dive into that song because it's going to have to do a lot with the series that we are about to go into. We, we, we're going into a new series, and we want to do something different this time. Instead of just jumping right into the series, we, we, we want to have kind of a series introduction. And so what we want to do is we, we want to kind of give you an overview of what we're going to kind of talk about, give you some definition of terms and clarity, because we don't want to assume that everybody starts at the same place and everyone's on the same page. We understand that there are people in here who um, have never uh, heard the gospel before, who haven't trusted Christ yet, or many of you, many of you are new to the Christian faith. And being as though many of you are new to the Christian faith, there is going to be a need for you to be uh, uh, pro to proclaim to you and talk to you um, the things that have to do with the Christian faith so that you can trek with the entire group of believers. In Ephesians 4, Paul says something to the Ephesian believers. He gives them Christian ethics. And, and while he's talking to them about Christian ethics, he said, you didn't learn Christ in this way. And what he's saying is, is that every believer should be schooled in God's way so that there's a culture among saints that is common and that's indigenous to those who are called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Pastor Branch and I, the elders, we're going to start a new series today. It's called Jesus, Light, Jesus Christ in the Life of. That's the name of it. And we're going to go into a bunch of OT characters we're going to do a character study of a bunch of cats, and we're going to let you know as soon as we stand up every Sunday which one we're going to be on. The series is mapped out. But I wanted uh, 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 Daryl to get up and spit to us that song today because I like the fact that that song lays out something, a lot of what we're going to talk about today, about God's redemptive work in our lives and what it looks like. But first, we want to see those who God inspired in the Old Testament to be able to be an example for us so that we could identify and apply truth. And so that same idea that he was talking about in that song, we want to begin to lay out that idea of how it first happens in those who are written in the Holy Writ. And so we're going to, I'm kind of going to give an overview of how the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. So that when we go there, it's easier to walk through and you got some clarity and you're like, oh, okay, we're not just isogenic. Because I've heard many of you say, I've been doing the reading through the Bible thing. And I'm kind of confused about the Old Testament. Like, I'm reading Leviticus, and I'm, like, lost. I hear some of you saying, man, I'm looking at Abraham's life. I'm looking at Joseph, Noah, like, and booming stuff. But I'm really having a hard time extracting principles from the Old Testament to be able to understand God, but then understand what my life should be like in light of these things. So I'm going to explain today. I want us to spend some time in, 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 a, um, in, in, the, pre, in the prequel to the series um, to kind of work you through some of those ideas. And I wanted to start in a main place to kind of give you an elder's role. But then after I go through the elder's role, I want to talk a lot about the idea of these characters. You know, one of my roles, one of our roles as elders is to protect. And, and, and number two, um, um, the, the, the other one is to prepare. The one, number one, we're to protect, and we are to prepare. And so when you look in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, I mean, Titus chapter 1, verse 13, it says, The testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. That they may be sound in faith. Well, when, 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 when Titus is talking about this, he's instructing Timothy, I mean, he's instructing, Paul is instructing Titus to give Titus uh, uh, the thought process to develop new leaders. And one of the things that we're called to do as leaders is to prepare. And the other one is to protect. But he talks about rebuking sharply. That word rebuke sharply means to sharply cut. And in the context of the passage, it has to do with people in the church who have taken the Old Testament and they've misused it. And so Paul is basically saying, one of the reasons why I placed you there is so you can clarify and develop those so they can have a proper understanding of the entire breadth of Scripture. 
But then on the preparation tip, in Ephesians 4.12, the Bible says, the Bible says, um, apostles, prophets, teachers, uh, or pastor teachers, uh, and evangelists have been given to the body for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That word equip just means to tra uh, training that qualifies. And so one of the roles that, I, that, I'm, that I'm taking on and playing today is, is helping us to be prepared to be able to dive into the scriptures, be equipped in the scriptures, to be able to say, yo man, the, 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 the scriptures are now a lot more clear to me. Like I see the New Testament, I'm, I'm a lot more clear on that, but now when I read the Old Testament, I have some tools that I can utilize in order to read, um, uh, read the Old Testament. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17. All of this is foundation for all that we're going to dive in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 15, it says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Paul's talking to Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. When he says all scripture, it's interesting. Even though there were a bunch of books written by this time of the New Testament, Paul is specifically talking about the Old Testament. He's talking to them about the, see, the, the early church utilized the Old Testament to apply New Testament truths, but they have some key principles and philosophies that help them based on their training in the Lord Jesus Christ to be able to plow through them. The reason why I wanted to talk about that today is because a lot of people don't think the Old Testament is profitable. You know, we have our favorite books. You're going to be in the Psalms. You know, you're going to read bits and pieces of Genesis. You're never going to read Leviticus. You're never going to read Obadiah. You're never going to read Nahum. You're never going to read Habakkuk. You're never going to read Haggai. You're never going to read Zephaniah. You're ne like, it's like all oh, the Psalms. Put me in the Psalms and park me in the Psalms. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I can identify with that. I'm with that. And so, but, but, but we want to broaden it. And so they used the, all of the Old Testament. We're going to see even today how Jesus used it. How Jesus used it in his ministry. Because it's going to be dope to see us. Like, like you can't grow in all respects if you're not being exposed to all respects of God's written revelation. And so Paul says, um, all scripture is breathed out, is inspired by God. That means everything that God has ever said counts. That's important. Because that means that God never wastes his breath. God never wastes his time. If God said it, it's not that you believe in it that settles it. You believe in it doesn't settle it. The fact that he said it does. See, see, many people say, I believe it. I said it. I receive Whether you receive it or not, it's going to still do what it came to do because he already said it ain't going to come back void. Now, you cannot read it, and it's still going to do work. You cannot meditate on it. It will still do its work. So everything that God has said from, 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 Revel from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22 on tap, mark it down, it's going to happen the exact way that Yahweh said that thing is going to happen. The question is, are you going to allow your life to be exposed to it? Now listen to what Paul says. He says some beautiful things about the scriptures. He talks about the fact that all scripture is profitable. That's key. It's all profitable. That means that it's user-friendly and it's useful. That means that everything that God has said has in some way, shape, or form has applicable nature to the Christian's life. Stay with me because all of this is foundation. Now listen to what he says are several ways in which the word of God is profitable. Number one, the, um, the word of God is profitable for teaching. He basically says it's, it's you, in other words, some, some translations will say it's profitable for doctrine. In other words... It's, it's profitable for teaching Christians how to live the Christian life. 
information about God, information about Christ, information about salvation, information about growing, all of it. So the Bible is number one, it's profitable for doctrine, but then he says it's also profitable for reproof. See, we like the doctrine part because, see, you can load away stuff. You know what I'm saying? I know that. Number one, check. I heard that before. Deity Christ, blah, blah. Well, check off. But then when you start talking about reproof, well, let's understand what reproof means. Reproof means clarifying doctrine. That means it's going to be a little bit different than correction. But it means clarifying doctrine so that believers are clear biblically on everything that God says. When, when we get to Jesus, we're going to see a lot of times how Jesus spent half of his ministry reproofing. But then the Bible says it's profitable for correction. This is dope. Clarifying duty. In other words, like ethics, Christian ethics. How do we relate to one another as husband and wife? How do we relate as singles? How do we relate to our finances? In other words, the word of God is profitable for helping us to correctly apply things that God says practically to every single area of our lives. Stay with me. But then he, then he finally says, training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. That means guidelines for Christian conduct. So you got to imagine being in Acts and these cats preaching the gospel. And then believers in different sectors having no New Testament. So they had access to the Old Testament and they would dive in. You look at the Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch, I mean, sitting on a chariot, black dude sitting on a chariot, curly, curly kind of wavy hair, bronze complexion, sitting up in the chariot. And, um, you know, my man Philip skipping past, see my man got the scroll out. Now, that would have been abnormal, first off, for anybody to have a synagogian scroll copy outside of the synagogue, sitting up in a chariot, outside in the sun by some water, reading. us like, now you're like, oh, he had the outside of the coffee shop, you know what I'm saying, with his Bible. Like, oh, that person may be a Christian. Or that per but see, back in the day, that wasn't normal. And so Philip said, what you reading? He said, oh, I'm trying to figure out who this cat is. He said, you know anything about him? And then he utilizes Isaiah 53 to lead him to Jesus. That was crazy. And then, for some way, shape, or form, he understood the principle of baptism. And when he understood the principle of baptism, he said, yo, what's preventing me from being baptized right now? And so you see that it's profitable. He didn't have, he didn't have the, uh, uh, the, the copy of the Gospels. He didn't have 1 Corinthians. All he had was the Old Testament. And so it's, it's profitable for, for, for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, and it's profitable for training and righteousness. Y'all got to stay with me. But number one, the big, the, the, now, now after we've laid that, so we now know that the Old Testament, we need to be in it, right? I mean, we need to be getting in all of God's scriptures, not just our favorite ones that we frequent to give us warm fuzzies. That means that we must allow ourselves to be totally exposed to everything our ruler says, Right? And so now, let's look at some of the ways in which we're going to be in this series talking about and utilizing the stories of the Old Testament, mainly the narrative sections of the Old Testament, to bless us by God's grace to be unloaded with looking at their lives in light of New Testament eyes. So, he, so, so turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 6 through 11. He says, now these things took place as examples for us. He's talking about what happened with the children of Israel. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, not grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now 
these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages will come. And so Paul says, when a believer looks at what God was doing in those stories and narrative passages is it was written for our example. In other words, you, 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 you look at the Old Testament, you say, what was God's relationship like with the people that he was in covenant with? How did he act towards them? How did they act towards him? When they messed up, how did he respond to them? When, when they walked with him, how did, how did they respond? And Paul says, listen, make sure that you don't follow in the footsteps of the foot. So in other words, you can go to the Old Testament to learn what not to do. So, but you can also learn what to do, but one of the main things he wants us also to learn is what not to do. And then the crushing discipline that falls on believers when we choose not to live a life of faith. And, and, and so Paul is helping us to get clarity on this idea of reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament. So they were written for our example as a warning. But not only that, they also were written to affirm the presence of New Testament principles in the Old Testament. To affirm the, 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 um, uh, the presence of New Testament principles. Stay with me. And so he says two things. Um, the Bible says two things. In Hebrews chapter 12, it lists, it lists um, all of those who walked with God by faith. In other words, you see, by faith, Abraham. By faith, Enoch. By faith, um, Isaac, by faith, uh, Jacob, by faith, Sarah. And even before it gets into it, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And anyone that comes to him must know that he is. That means that he has always existed and will exist and still exists. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then he says, listen, this principle of faith, walking with God by faith, is nothing new. In other words, it was a premise and always a requirement for believers because sometimes believers can use the old, look at the Old Testament and, and people will say, well, that God of the Old Testament isn't the same God that's in the New Testament. So you'll go over there and say, I've heard unbelievers say, well, that, that God is the God of wrath, but this God over here is the God of mercy. And now, now faith um, is required, but before that, works were required. So you're telling me that those in the Old Testament, based on their works, were given the ability to have a relationship with God on works. And the writer of Hebrews says, uh-uh, wrong principle. He says, faith has always been the premise of believers from beginning to end. So we can't get away with not walking with God. In other words, God is not even attracted to anything but those who have abandoned their ability to get things on their own and embrace the fact that only he can give things through himself by his means and he always and has required faith. But he hasn't just required faith. What do I mean by that? A lot of people have faith. Unbelievers have faith. In other words, people will say, um, I'm stepping out on faith. I don't believe anyone should step out on faith. I don't think the Bible teaches stepping out on faith. The Bible doesn't even use that terminology. Because if we step out on our faith, guess what we're stepping out on? Our faith. Now, how many of you have weak faith at times? So what if you step out on your faith, as weak and trifling as it can be sometimes? If you step out on your faith and you begin to dwindle in faith, what's going to happen to what you're standing on? It's going to crumble. So we don't step out on faith. We step out on faith in Christ, not faith in our faith, because if you have faith in your faith, then what you're believing is only as big as your faith is. But what's beautiful about having faith in him, that's why God didn't say have faith in faith. He says, believe in God. Jesus says, believe also who? In me. Um, some people will use, well, your faith has made you whole. And when we look at the idea of your faith has made you whole, your faith in connection with belief in Christ and Christ alone is the thing that has made you whole, not your faith sitting off by itself just believing some dream that it has. 
And so when we talk about, so I just want to clarify that as we go through this, because as we go through these stories, you're going to see the principles of the, you're going to be like, dang, I didn't even realize it. But not only faith, but you see the principles of the gospel, the principles of the gospel. When you, when we were in Galatians and we got to 3.8, Galatians 3.8, your man Paul talks about the fact that Abraham believed and his belief in connection with the gospel was the thing that caused Christ's righteousness to be imputed to him. So when we're in the Old Testament and while we're studying these characters, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help us to understand what we're going to be looking for. We're not just going to be looking for what their lives were like in and of themselves, but we're going to look at what a life of faith produces in God and God alone. And not only that, but then what are the precursors, and we're going to talk about all of that, to the gospel that were requirements that were types and shadows. I'm going to explain all of that stuff as we go along so that as we go through this series on these character studies that we can get clarity. Now, let's dive into Jesus' use of the Old Testament. Jesus' use of Old Testament characters. Over in Matthew chapter 22, Over in Matthew chapter 22, verses 40 through 46, Jesus says something interesting. He says in verse 40, he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Then he says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus said to them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Who is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the spirit, in other words, he was being led by the spirit, calls him Lord, talking about the Messiah, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until your enemies are placed under your feet. And if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? That is the Messiah. And no one was able to answer a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. <laughs> Listen what Jesus does. Jesus says, I got y'all. Since y'all gonna front on me, y'all don't know who I am, and y'all love getting in the Old Testament, but you don't like seeing the real principles that are clear in the Old Testament. He says, I'm gonna use one of your popular uh, quotations. Psalm 119, um, 110.1. The Bible says, My Lord, David says, My Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your free feet. So some people will read that and say, man, that's confusing. God's talking to himself. Or he's talking to another God. But see, you got to understand the translation there. One says, my Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. The second one says, Lord, L-R-D, large L, small O-R-D. He says, literally, my Yahweh said to my Adonai, <laughs> Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. So you see clearly that Jesus says, listen, the father was talking to me. He basically told me, look, when it's time to go from heaven to earth, listen, I, 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 I want you to go down and I'm going to make your enemies a footstool to your feet. And so Jesus basically trips them up about it. Why? Because of their lack of looking to the Old Testament in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, they weren't able to have clarity on the issue that David was speaking of in that passage. So you see Jesus even utilizing the Old Testament in a beautiful way to show himself off. So not only did he use it to verify his person, but number two, he used, utilized it to verify his preeminence. Turn over a few pages to chapter 12, verse 42. Chapter 12, verse 42. It says, the queen of the south, Jesus is talking about uh, the queen of Sheba. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So basically what Jesus says is, remember back when you were reading in the Chronicles, people, and you were reading about Solomon, and because God had given us such great wisdom, God given him such great wisdom, that the world began to find out about his wisdom, and God began to utilize his passion for his mission to bring people to his epicenter to show himself off. When they got there, it says, when, when the Queen of Sheba got there, the Bible says, Oh my goodness, like when Solomon began to unpeel the wisdom that God had given him, she said, man, the half had not been told. And so a lot of them celebrate the fact that Jerusalem was the center. A lot of them celebrated the fact of the fatness of Solomon's wisdom. But Jesus says, in the day of judgment, the queen of Sheba is going to stand up when the books of life are open. And they're going to say, look, I was willing to respond to a lesser dude. But you had the one who gave him the wisdom standing right before you on planet Earth, unleashing the wisdom. Matter of fact, I'm a Gentile and you're supposed to be the chosen people. And Jesus is basically saying, listen, all of this stuff in the Old Testament is about me. So he, he did it to verify his person. He did it to verify his preeminence. But then number three, he did it to verify the scope of Old Testament perspective. Luke chapter 24, verse 27 through 32. Luke 24, 27 through 32. He says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going no further, he, he, he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is uh, Toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened to us the scriptures. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be chilling with Jesus doing an Old Testament overview of himself. The Bible says he started with Moses. That probably means that he probably went to Genesis 1-1. He says, you know what I'm saying? Y'all remember like, like when, 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 when God, it says, and God created the heavens and the earth well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among. And then he said, he was in the beginning, and everything was made for him, by him, and through him. And so as God was speaking things in existence, look at it. And the guys are like, yo, I remember, I remember them saying that in the synagogue. He says, he says, when God spoke it, he says, the Messiah, or the Word, the Lagos, Jesus, went and accomplished it. So everything that God said, the word of God went and formed it. They were like, hmm, interesting, interesting. I'm not fully convinced. He's like, okay, well, I don't know if you remember Isaac, right? But remember that time when, 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 um, when, when Abraham said, yo, we're going to go up and worship and the boy and I will return. Remember he said that? And remember he laid out the wood? And remember he laid Isaac on the wood and, and, and he went to, 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 to crush him? And, and the son said, dad... Um, where is the sacrifice? And he said, the Lord will provide. And there was a lamb caught, uh, there was a ram caught in the thicket. He says, well, he said, you, you, you told me, I don't know about the things that just happened here, but the wood is, is, is the same thing that the, that the Messiah died on the cross and Abraham laying down his one and only son. And in other words, he said, it talks 
He said, all of it talks about, about, about me. He says, you remember when Moses, um, when Moses got before the Red Sea and when he got before the Red Sea and he, and he, and he said, um, he said, stand and see what? The salvation of the Lord. He raised his staff. The waters were peeled back and the way of who was made for them to walk through. And then their enemies, when they followed them, watched them. He said, you know what that was? They were like, what? Baptism. They were getting baptized in their belief and trust in the Messiah. It was clearly and unadulteratedly him and him alone. You remember the three Hebrew boys? They were like, yeah. Remember, you know, how they were up in the fiery furnace and, and Nebuchadnezzar went down and said, I thought there were like three dudes up in that piece. But I see like a fourth one and he looks like the son of the gods. Now, what's interesting about that, you know, and they're like, what's interesting about it? This is killing me. And, and he says, well, notice they, the, the, the king had wrath. He said, yeah. He threw them in the fire of the king's wrath. Matter of fact, he got angry. And the more angry he got, he turned the heat up hotter. Yeah. Then he threw them in, but it extinguished those who weren't a part of God's kingdom. But it, the ones who were thrown into the fire were kept and unextinguished un, un, uh, by the fire, didn't smell like fire, and nothing on them was singed. But it was because of the one standing in the wrath of the king that kept God's people from getting burnt. The same way, the same exact way that, that, that he kept the three Hebrew boys from being burnt is the same way the Messiah's death on the cross keeps us from being singed, keep us from being burned, keep us from being destroyed by the wrath of God. Oh, y'all don't believe me? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3 says the earth is going to burn with intense heat. We're going to be there with eternal swagger with the ruler, standing there, Tim tatted all up with his, with his blazing eyes and, 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 his, and his wool dreadlocks and his burnished brass feet standing up there. And we're going to be sitting with him, and the earth is going to burn with intense heat. The Bible says the heaven and the earth is going to pass away. But the issue is, as the Bible says, those who died one time but don't have part in the second death, death couldn't have any power over them. So what's powerful about the work of Christ in our lives is he keeps us from being singed by the wrath of God. Like we sing in the song, in Christ and Christ alone, the wrath of God has been satisfied. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says, it didn't say we were saved from sin. It didn't say we were saved from death. It didn't say we were saved from the devil. It didn't say we were saved from ourselves. It says that we were saved from what? The wrath of God. The beef has been crushed. And so these dudes are like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. They said, don't leave, man. You got to explain some more of this stuff to us. All over the Old Testament are the footprints of these principles that we miss out on because we think the word of God is boring. But if you patiently, God has given you the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Peter chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27, it says, you have received the anointing. Now, you're not looking for another one. You already received it. So nobody can put oil on you and you get a new anointing. It ain't going to happen because the Bible says you have already received the anointing. Now, what does this have to do with this study? Well, he says, you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, he's not saying you don't need teachers because Ephesians chapter 4 says he appoints teachers. What he's saying is, is the understanding of the teaching that the teacher teach will be given to you to comprehend by the work of the Spirit. So that means you got to get off your caboose and get in the Old Testament because God has empowered you. God has empowered you with the ability to see Jesus Christ all over the Old Testament. Listen, reading the Old Testament without Jesus puts you under the law again. <laughs> the, 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 the Old Testament is boring without Jesus. It's, 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 it's time. Now, that don't mean that we just go and say, oh, oh when, my, when, when he got the five smooth stones, that was the stone. Of, like, we ain't talking about just making up stuff. But, but what we're talking about is clearly seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. My wife, 
I was a little skeptical. She had me watch this movie. You know, my wife and I, we had this thing going, when she chooses one, I choose one. Because, see, when, she chooses a, when I choose a movie, it's going to have somebody getting punched, some cars blowing up, some fighting, you know, some epic thriller type stuff. My wife going to have it where somebody in love with somebody, you know what I'm saying? Or, or, I, I just be like, oh, Lord, okay, live with your wife and I understand the way. Live with your wife and I understand the way. Live with your wife and I understand. Nourish and cherish her. Nourish and cherish her. And so she shows this movie, Bucket List. And I was looking at the movie, I was like, ah, uh, like I like the dudes, but I don't know if I'm gonna be feeling like, like this, like, you know what I'm saying? And so what happened in the movie is interesting. Morgan Freeman and your, and your man, um, Jack Nicholson, were playing two guys who were, who had cancer. And what was interesting about it is, they were saying, yo, before we die, let's make a bucket list. In other words, a bucket list is things that you'll do because you're going to die. So things that you always want to do. So they were crossing out things and, you know, going, they went skydiving. You know, they, 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 they um, sat on the pyramids, looking over um, the pyramids in Egypt, all of this stuff. But one of the last things that they wanted to do was they wanted to climb the Himalayas and look at the splendor. Because one of their things on their list was to witness something magnificent. And what was interesting is both of them died, but at the end of the movie, you know what I'm saying, this dude carried their ashes to the... I'm sorry, I got to tell the movie because it helps my illustration. So I'm sorry. So look, so y'all just going to have to be mad. Y'all should have seen it by now, doggone it. So, <laughs> so sorry, but this is helping my illustration. So <laughs> um, y'all got to get y'all's movie weight up. But um, I'm joking. And, 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 so, and so they put... They put the, um, the ashes on top of the mountain, and, and the guy puts the paper, and he crosses out, witness something magnificent. And he closed it up and closed it on top of the Mount of Himalayas, and you saw the splendor. And, the, and I was like, man. Like, I was a little disappointed. Like, usually movies like that usually do something to me, like, like baby, um, don't look over here right now. You know, that's kind of... But I said... That sounds good that they witnessed something magnificent. But I said, they didn't see it. They were put up there on top of the mountain dead. And even if they would have seen the magnificence of God's creation, it's nothing cool about witnessing something magnificent just on planet Earth. I was left like, dang, like, if they think just witnessing a mountain is magnificent, what does it look like to stare into the beauty and glory of the living God? To witness him in all of his magnificence. And I thought about it. I said, looking at the Old Testament without Jesus, it's just like this movie. Getting placed somewhere dead where something magnificent is, but you don't get to experience the beauty of its magnificence. And I'm thinking about our lives as we look in the Old Testament. Jesus says, it all speaks of me. If you want to see something magnificent, then Christ takes us on spiritual death, the spiritual life, and give us the visors to see the beauty of who he is. And so when he says he interpreted to them all of the scriptures, what it says, and he interpreted to them, that's where we get our word hermeneutics from. And it's beautiful that in this passage that Jesus walks them um, um, point by point through each of the sections of Old Testament literature. And it said that their hearts burned as they went through it. But then it says, and their eyes were opened to the scriptures. As we go through this series, as we go through different characters, You've missed the point if you just get excited about the characters. We want to talk about the characters. We want to show you the characters. We want to lay out the characters. But one of the things that you're going to see in the life of every one of these characters is that all of them failed. All of them. As good as Abraham was, he was a liar. As good as Isaac was, he was a liar. 
As good as Jacob was, he was a trickster. As good as David was, he was a peeping Tom. As good as Job was, he was a complainer. <laughs> but there was one who, when he was put in hard circumstances, didn't falter. <laughs> <laughs> and the prayer is that we'll look at their lives and see the footprints and beauty of our Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you a couple of ways that you want to look at the Old Testament. There's, in the Bible, there's a, there's a part of hermeneutics that's called redemptive history. Say redemptive history. In other words, God didn't start redeeming in the Old Testament. He was always redeeming. It says, redemptive history, as a definition, refers to the increasing manifestation of God's plan of salvation through his acts of redemption. So when you look at the Old Testament, you look at law, and you look at prophets, and you look at the writings, what you will see is God giving sneak previews of coming attractions. In other words, all of these things were commercials. All of these things were types. All of these things were shadows. But they're pictures of ultimate redemption. The historical narratives of the Old Testament and New Testaments are a glorious unfolding of God's redemptive purposes. It's kind of like looking at the Old Testament. You ever went back home? You ain't been home in a while. You ain't lived in the house for a while. Some of y'all still live at home, so I ain't mad at you. But you look at old pictures from back in the day, and you're like, dang, I can't believe I wore that. Man, I, can't, I thought I was the man that day. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I, man, look at that haircut. Like, I got a joint with me, have a, I, I had me a Kwame joint back in the day. I know y'all can't imagine. And I, had, I, had, I, had, I bought me some spray from the drugstore, and I sprayed me some polka dots in my head. Had on a rayon shirt with some pleated stonewashed jeans and some Air Max sneaks with a chain around my neck. My glasses on, and I'm standing on the top of the bleachers looking off in the wind like. <laughs> and I'm looking like, Dag. Then I look at, you know, who I dated. I was like, Dag, what was I thinking? Far away from the peaceful shore. What was I doing? Why was I hanging with him? Why was I doing that? But, but as I look back over those pictures, I see God's hand in working on me, being patient with me, loving me despite of where I was, being merciful, being gracious. And I look at that, and what it does is it says, Dad, God, even though I didn't know you, you didn't allow me to die too early. I'm so glad that I didn't die when I was I'm so, I'm so glad that where I was, you didn't leave me there. Lord God, I'm glad that, oh, I remember the mistakes I made when I was wearing that. That was my, that was my lucky t-shirt. And there's a reason why I called it my lucky t-shirt. And, and I'm glad that the wrath of the reason, I'm, now I'm no longer wearing a shirt that points to wrath, but now I wear the shirt of glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we look at redemptive history, when we look at redemptive history, we're going to look in the pages of the Bible and we're going to see the inner workings of the beauty of Christ in the lives of so many people. Some people totally oblivious, which many of us were. There was a time, if you knew Jesus, that somewhere in your life where you were oblivious to his workings, oblivious to his grace, oblivious to his patience. Wasn't thinking about them, didn't care about them, didn't want to know. Some of you have, 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 have flipped up the living God with both life, lips, and fingers. And God says, that's all right, there's going to be a time where you're going you're gonna to weep and worship about that. You're going to have your hands lifted in praise, and you're going to remember when you did that, and you're going to see, I, I didn't kill you. I'm going to let you worship about that one day because you, you were just tripping. You were just unregenerate. You were just separated from the life that comes from me. You were just an atheist. You were just an agnostic. You were just a Buddhist. You were just into Islam. You were just a Muslim. You was a whoremonger. You, you was a slave to sin. But now that you're in me, I know that you'll look back at that stuff in light of me. So as we look at these things, as we look back, 
as we look back at the lives of those who went before us, and God allows their lives to be vulnerable before us. Because, you know, every time we look at the lives of people in the Old Testament, we say what we wouldn't have, do, wouldn't have done. They so stupid. Why would he do something like that? God going to do boom, boom, boom. Why don't he just go ahead and then you're going to see yourself standing right there beside him. Talking about my bad widow. Lord, don't be angry with me. I'm just asking one like Pastor Deuce, don't be angry with me. But I just need one more confirmation of the fact that you'll see yourself there. But you'll see that Christ's covering work and his power and his grace gives us the grace. You can fold it. It says, each one of God's past redemptive acts is a part of development of his plan to restore lost sinners into communion and relationship with him. God's gracious redemptive plan was increasingly revealed with the progression of time. The Old Testament promises, types, and messianic prophecies all pointed forward to the coming of Messiah in whom God's purposes of redemption would be ultimately fulfilled. You can roll it. These means shadowed forth to the Old Testament saints the one and only way of salvation through the substitutionary death or atonement through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm hoping that as we dive into this series that you would find practical application for your life, stuff to live by, faith to be increased, lives to be developed. But I pray that we would clearly present whether in a, throughout redemptive history, God's working. And what's beautiful about Daryl's song is that, is that redemptive, redemptive history didn't stop with the Old Testament saints. Because the Bible says in the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 1 that the angels are watching high-definition TV in heaven. It basically says is they're watching God's unfolding work of his plan in our lives. Even though they kind of know how things are going to end, they're still, they're still blown away by the outworking of it, and they're watching your life and my life to see how we respond to Jesus. And the Bible says that the angels learn how to serve God through watching us. Hebrews chapter 1. They're encouraged in it. As a matter of fact, in other words, he uses a lesser person, lesser group of people with less power, with less strength. The angels have way more strength than us. But they watch us and say, Dag, if they can follow God in that kind of world and walk with him and depend on the Lord Jesus Christ, how much more do we? Kind of reminds me as I close of the movie Signs. You know, Charlemagne, the dude, I can't pronounce his name. But, but Shalman, yes, that's, that's his name. So, <clears throat> my bad if you listen to this, brother. Um, he a Philly boy. But what's funny is all of his movies, you know, you kind of always, ever since The Sixth Sense, you kind of want something like, if he don't do it right like that again, like I, I wanted to go fight him over Unbreakable. I just wanted to fight him. But one movie that I liked a lot was Signs. And what was interesting at the end of the movie, you're wondering why the kid has asthma. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're wondering why this dude wasn't able to become a baseball star. You're wondering why all of these things. And at the end of the movie, it comes together because you see the alien holding the dude. He's about to spray uh, 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 some, some jacked up stuff into his face to kill him. And the kid all of a sudden gets an asthma attack. And then all of this water kept being left out, and he's wondering why the water was left up there. And the dude is using his baseball bat, and he hits the water, and the water falls on the alien, and the alien begins to dissolve. And all you see is during the course of the movie, all of the things that they were frustrated with God about, because Mel Gibson was playing a dude that was frustrated with God, but at the end of the movie, he was like, oh God, that's why you allowed that to happen. Because you were... First of all, pointing me to you, but also you are allowing me to see the clarity of the fact that everything that happens in my life happens for a reason. 
And some of the things that you allow to hurt me are the biggest things that you use to help me. But as a believer, as a believer, if you don't put on redemptive eyes and see every, everything in your life family, God wants to get a hold of it. Everything. There's nothing in your life that Jesus Christ wants to be divorced from. He wants to be intimately acquainted with our lives. There is no God that anyone announces that sits high and above everything, yet deeply wants to be deeply involved in the lives of his people. And so as we go through this series, as we work through God's redemptive work in the past and also in the present, we're going to also see his redemptive work in the future. And my prayer is, is that this whole crew of people, all of us who are jacked up sinners, who've been now called saints by position in Christ, can be able to rejoice and say, God, I'm encouraged that my eyes may see things from your perspective versus my perspective. So as we talk about Jesus Christ and the life of all of these Old Testament characters, we want you to also see what Jesus Christ in your life is doing. How is he redeeming? How is he turning things around? And how is he developing it so that your life can be a soundtrack? So that your life can be a soundtrack so that people may be developed, so that disciples may be developed, that your children, when you're dead and gone, if Jesus doesn't come back, and they pull out your pictures, and you're three generations out, and people are like, who, who, who is Angelo? Who is, who is Grandpa Angelo? Who, 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 is, who is Grandpa Deuce? Who, 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 who is Grandma Giselle? Who, who, who is Uncle Mac? Who, 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 who is Uncle Jose? Who, who were they? And people begin to pull out the photo album. They begin to say, this is where it all started in our family. No one was serving God up until the point where God saved them. And I remember what he used to teach us when we was little. I remember what she used to teach us when we were little. And now I remember redemptive history. Redemptive history. So God is going to use you mightily in the lives as a beautiful legacy. And so the prayer is, is that we will be submissive, that we will repent of our sin very quickly, respond to Jesus, submit to him, and say, God, may my life be a soundtrack. May my life, it's not going to be perfect because Christ is the one who makes it perfect. See, the thing that unbelievers hate about us is we present ourselves as perfect when they see that we're not. But if we repent depending on Christ and them see the picture of that redemption in our lives, God will do something in their lives in relation to the gospel. So I pray that as we dive into Jesus Christ and the life of, that we don't merely see just these jacked up people but we will see the beautiful picture of the living God. Father, we thank you that